Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Bhutang Dhammang Sankang Namasami So this morning I woke up, shortly after I woke up, these words came to my mind unexpectedly, which were, live lightly because you're going to have to leave it all behind. And uh, when, that, when that kind of reflection or memory or perception came, just this sort of sense of lightness and uh, freedom and interest in, in the present. And joy, joy and humour actually, it's kind of quite fun perception of like, it's it's uh, it's just it's all just coming together for this moment, and and it's like this, and I can see in the, you know the the way the Buddha set up the samana form, the renunciant form, it was to live in a way that's really constantly reminding the, those who've uh, left the home life that you, know, you don't know what's going to happen the next day, the next hour, the next moment. And it's, it's, it's like an aligning with reality. And uh, you know, in, back in the day when the Buddha was walking around in India, People lived like that much more. Uh, the, the sangha, anyway, the monastic sangha, were able to live like that much more fully, wandering and you know, gathering their scraps of cloth to make their robes and living on alms day to day, <coughs> staying in a hut or a, on a heap of straw. And and I've had the really good fortune to spend a little bit of time living like that, just a couple of months or so, and a month here and a couple of months there, when I lived in the UK, walking uh, with another nun, with our arms bowls and our robes and a few things in our backpacks, not knowing where we would be next. And, and there's, there's a real beauty to living like that. It really, it really brings you into a, a place of, of uh, trust and... Um, openness to the possibility of each moment and in that opening there is you know, many amazing things come and amazing connections happen and yet to live like that all year round in a non-Buddhist country where you get cold winters and rain and all of that is uh, probably not impossible but pretty difficult and not hugely attractive <laughs> So, so here we are, we have a Loka Vihara, this monastery now, about 17 acres of land, beautiful forest and a house and a second building and, and ideas and plans for the future. 
and uh, I can see how easily that can turn into a, um, a heavy experience, a heavy perception of, okay, we've got this place now, we've got to make it like this, and it's, it's for this purpose, we've got to shape it in this direction, and it should look like this, and it should be like this, and, and then we, we want to do that and that and that in the future, so we've got to do this, this and this in order for that to happen, and, and before you know it, you're just back in the rat race, following the same old things that you know, one did before. So uh, it's really important to just have that reminder of like, just don't know, don't know. Don't really know what shape Aloka Vihara is meant to take. But at this moment, it takes this, this shape. With these women sitting here together with an interest in practice and awakening. And tomorrow who knows next year who knows and also just uh, you know our new neighbours who've been really friendly very nice and uh, now we're getting to realise okay they really like shooting <laughs> <laughs> on a Saturday <laughs> and uh, that might be you know I can see it as, as listening to the shooting hearing the shooting during the meditation how the, the mind adds on, you know, there's the sound and then there's the, the perception of... Fortunately, I've met those two guys, so I know they're nice people. So the perception of those nice... that nice guy and his son shooting metal uh, targets. And... So it's not a scary perception, but there's this sense of like, OK, they're only neighbours and they like shooting. And up until now, it's been really peaceful here. It's been a beautiful, peaceful place. And we rented it for a while, and it was lovely and peaceful. And then Sarah Loka bought it, and it was lovely and peaceful. And now we've got neighbours who like shooting. <laughs> and uh, so it's like, hmm. <laughs> Where's this going to go? You know, how's this going to work out? And the answer is, don't know. Don't know how it's going to work out. So if I'm sitting here creating perceptions of the future and feeling concerned and thinking, oh, nobody's going to want to come here because there's this, you know, neighbours like to shoot, then I create the dukkha, you know, on top of simply what's happening. And then I was also reflecting as, as I was listening to that shooting of how many people, children and, and adults live in places where that's going on every day, they're hearing that every day and it isn't a friendly guy shooting metal targets and uh, you know, little kids are growing up in environments where there's danger and violence and and uh, the kind of blindness of uh, human greed and Hatred and delusion is, is running the show completely. And like, so as I'm listening to the sounds of the shooting today, this evening, it, I could see like hidden in that sound there was a sense of gratitude of like, thank you that this is a safe place. That I, that I can hear that sound that it doesn't make me feel afraid because I haven't lived in an environment where it, where it is actually 
dangerous in that in that way. So thank you that my life has been such that I don't have that perception, that fear. And knowing that for many, many people it's not the case. That the sound of gunshot brings fear. So uh, It would be nice if, if uh, Aloka Vihara was a, a lovely, peaceful place that was a little bit hot in the summer, a little bit dry, but basically quiet and peaceful. And the noisiest things with it, woodpeckers in the morning, <laughs> they are quite noisy. And that would be great, but maybe it isn't, you know, maybe that's uh, not how it, how it is or how it will be. And you know, just noticing that that wish for perfection, you know, the wish for a really lovely, peaceful, sacred holding, to be able to also to be able to offer to other people, to wish for something really beautiful and peaceful and safe and holding, to offer as a as a refuge, and then recognizing like well the world can't offer that even uh, even the most you know, seemingly safe and, and peaceful and wholesome environments they cannot guarantee that it, you know it is going to be safe as we know and uh, so just like you know those I, I was thinking about Ajahn Sumedho he often used to use the phrase he used to speak about uh, in the world in Sangsara you know, we, we, we look for perfection, we look for comfort and we look for ease and we look for perfection. And there's always the snake in the garden, the worm in the apple, the fly in the ointment. So he would frequently quote that, those three, the snake in the garden, the worm in the apple, the fly in the ointment. And, and it feels like that's wrong and it shouldn't be like that but that's actually how it is that's the world it's meant to be like that it's made like that and without that we would be really lost we would just be happily doing what we're doing living our life and enjoying the pleasures of the senses and uh, and on it would go and on it would go we'd keep enjoying them and then they'd change and then we'd look for the next one and it would change another one it would change and on it would go but because there's there are these uh, edges of, of discomfort and difficulty that's like the the teacher or the the reminder to wake up from the dream of this world that the that what brought us in you know what brought us into this life into this world was a was searching for satisfaction, searching for something that's comfortable or safe or familiar. So it's like the consciousness is drawn into this human body, looking for maybe purpose or wholeness or fulfilment or not sure what it you know we will each have maybe different momentums, but there's, it's looking for something which appears to be 
promised in this human life. And then the experience is, you know, we get some of it is there, we get some of it, but it's not, we can never reach that place of, of satisfaction for very long. Because the world is, is changing all the time, conditions are changing all the time, the body is changing, the mind is changing, feelings are changing, perceptions are changing. Our sense experience is constantly, not for one moment, the same. And so, to, you know, to find a lasting happiness or satisfaction in what is not lasting is, is just not possible. So, uh, you know, it can be that I've been reflecting on that on that kind of edge of of form and emptiness recently, I mean, and we, we also we chant the the Heart Sutra here. Sometimes the you know, form it does not differ from emptiness. Emptiness does not differ from form, and, and there's really a truth in that. And so we live in these physical bodies. You know, we are these physical bodies, these feelings, these perceptions. And, thoughts and sense experience, you know, that's what's going on all the time. And, uh, you know, sometimes it feels more real and solid than others, sometimes it feels very solid and real and, you know, the sense of this body can feel very strong and, and physical and grounded and present and there's a, there's a, there's a peace in that. And then there's also the, you know, when one notices there's like the constant changing nature of things, the mind and the feelings and perceptions, and, <clears throat> and looking more closely, seeing it in the body. And I can just see how, um, like in a way, the spiritual path is a really, it's a really, uh, I want to use the word treacherous, but maybe that's not a good word, but mm. it's like walking on a razor's edge in a way on a very narrow path uh, over an abyss because uh, if we go too much into the the form side of things then it, that all becomes too real and we, look, we start looking again for satisfaction in what is in the physical world which can't really give it to us for very long and then we just get caught again in that endless cycle of searching for comfort and, and safety and satisfaction in the world which can only offer it for, for moments. And if we go too far the other way, then it's like, whoa, you know, there is no ground. It's all just meaningless. It's all changing all the time. What's, what's the point? And that's kind of a dangerous place to be. Um, so the, the spiritual path is this kind of, kind of narrow path, it feels to me, <laughs> between those two realities where there's a kind of, there's a knowing of the constant change of things and there's also enough embodiment and presence with the, in the physical realm to anyway, anchor that truth of, of, of change and impermanence. And uh, probably, you know, through our practice we, 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 we weave around a little bit on that path and maybe kind of slip off the edge a bit here and there at times. 
so it's very important to have a grounding in the in the physical as we as we as we practice this path um you know in the in the body as in the in the in the direct physical experience of the body that's the experience of the bones the teeth if you have teeth you know the groundedness of this body and that gives like a like an anchor in a way like a support like a yeah an anchor from which we can then open to the the emptiness of it all but if we just stay in one or the other of those places it gets we we either get stuck or we get desperate so So really um, recognizing that the Buddha says again and again about the human realm being the most precious realm to be born in, because we have this, you know, the experience of the physical, animal body, and we have the ability to reflect on karma, on sila on impermanence and with those two with the with the kind of drives and the the, the, the habits and the drives the, the kind of built in instinctual drives of the physical body and the maybe you could say more um, reflective sides and holding the, the in the way the dissonance of those two is what becomes our fuel awakening and if we're just lost in one or in the other we're not there's either there's either too much too much um, belief and attachment in the material world or there's not enough to hold on to so I certainly know you know the the the, the culture is directed towards the material, American culture, directed towards the material world and, and consumerism and having and getting and being someone, being a personality who should be forever young and beautiful and the best at everything. And, um, but it's, it's very much emphasising the, the material, this culture particularly. And you know, I think for for many people there can be a, a a kind of swing from that into well, like once you start to see the emptiness of that, there's there's nothing else to hold on to. So it's just like whoa, falling into the the uh, kind of meaninglessness of it all, which which is which on some level, it, you know, if if one is looking for meaning in in what is changing it can be you know it, it doesn't really give us that it's not going to be it's not we're not ever going to get to a place where it all makes sense and we've got we've got it and it's it and like yeah got there or even if we do it's not going to last for very long so so that in a way is like if we if we if we're looking for fulfillment in something in the future some some way we're going to be, or some 
you know, maybe the, the way we will be or the way we will be perceived or the way the monastery is going to be or the way one's family or one's work situation is going to be if we're looking for that it's, you know, we're going to be looking for a long time because it doesn't arrive there or if it does it doesn't stay for very long so, uh, so we have to shift our way of thinking and uh, really bring it into the present and recognize the, the places in ourselves where we um, stave off life, where we keep life away through, um, can be through fear or through uh, resentment or reactivity. It can be, or it can be that we're we're always looking for something better in the future. The greed mind that's always seeking, seeking, seeking something more. And just recognize, like both of those, lead to dukkha. They don't lead to happiness. And uh, when we find those places of resistance, resentment, fear, really to take an interest in them, because they are like. Um, well, they're like obstacles to to being really awake and present. And we all have them, you know, we all do it. So to really just, like, rather than keeping on doing it and, and then keeping on reinforcing the sense of self, there's, oh, there I go doing that again, or, or I'm justified to do that because, blah, blah, blah. To, to really turn towards those places of resistance and fear and to, and to take an interest to explore, investigate and uh, I think we can use the, the three refuges as a support in doing that so you know, the refuge in the Buddha, the awakened one and also in the, that within us which can see clearly which we've all had to, a taste of and then refuge in the Dharma knowing that everything that arises passes away so we don't have to be afraid. All that arises passes away. It's not who and what we are. And so then we can allow it more fully into consciousness. And the Sangha is uh, like knowing that others have been through more challenging situations than we have in the past, or even maybe are going through it now. And also knowing that there are others who are, who are practicing, you know, who are turning towards dukkha rather than moving away from dukkha, who are interested in, who are turning towards investigating and transforming the dukkha that arises rather than running after the next nice thing. And uh, I feel like sangha is also that within us, you know, that that has the the confidence, the, the understanding to do the work that needs to be done. So, uh, so taking refuge in those qualities as we, as we practice and as we um, recognize the, the, the constant craving for and, and running towards what's, what's pleasant and comfortable and looking for perfection and, and recognizing how you know, even we might have experienced it here and there, we do experience it here and there, 
it's not there's no place that that will give us that and uh, and so the place that gives us freedom and safety is is when we turn back and look at our own hearts and meet them with a with a with an interest and a, a tenderness and a kindness and uh, do the work right here in our own hearts that's the place that we'll find the peace that we're looking for <clears throat> and it might be that uh, you know we, we're fortunate enough to have reasonably safe and pleasant conditions in our lives we may be able to go through our whole lives like that you know, some people can or it may be at some point getting scary or we may have had very difficult things in the past that, that we remember <clears throat> so uh, we can't then we can't um, ensure that the world is going to be safe and kind to us but we can find that place within our own hearts that is seeing clearly and the more that we see clearly the more we want to clear out the places of uh, greed and resentment and uh, aversion and confusion and, and as we keep doing that work we keep clearing out those places then we find that the refuge is right here it's right here wherever we are whoever we're with it's, it's right here and even with whatever's arising it's not that it has to be nice and beautiful and inspiring it can be that we're present with really difficult stuff that's that's here and there's a sense of safety a sense of clarity because we know that all that arises passes away and it is not who and what we are and then we can uh, gradually gradually clear out the the rubbish that uh, clogs up our hearts and cultivate the good, cultivate the wholesome, the generous, kind, patient, courageous, curious. And, uh, you know, we do it in, in little ways, with little things, in just changing a habit of reaction, or in, in just saying a kind word, or or making a boundary where there needs to be one. So it's in the little things that the, the transformation happens and then if we keep working with those little things day by day, moment by moment, then at some point we notice a bigger shift or a bigger shift happens. So it's, it's so tempting to keep on following the cravings of the mind and uh, believing the aversions of our mind and heart it's so tempting because it looks so real and believable 
but uh, that's what's kept us on this round of rebirth for so long. And if we really want to wake up, we have to we have to look at that in a new way. Relate to those uh, pushes and pulls of our hearts and minds in a new way. And we forget again and again, and then we're, we're reminded again and again. So that is the the vital practice, really, if we want to not just keep on running after what is pleasant and running away from what is unpleasant forever. We must. There's the only the only solution is to turn towards what is and be interested and investigate and uh, understand and let go of those causes once we see them and cultivate the, the wholesome. I think it's very important to remember the, the those beings that you may have met some people or there may be people that you've read about who really em- embody um, presence and openness and generosity and harmlessness. It's really important to bring them to mind, bring them to heart. Because sometimes when we, we look, you know, when we're just here with our own minds and hearts, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, there's so much rubbish in there, how am I ever going to get anywhere? And we feel like we're working really hard, practicing really hard, and it doesn't seem to be getting anywhere. But probably our, our friends and our families might say differently, they might see, actually, yeah, it's making a big difference. But because we're close up with what's going on here, we just see all of the stuff that needs to be worked on. So it's really important to, to bring to mind those who've done, you know, who've, who've broken through some of the stuff, some of the things that we're still working with. Because then it reminds us that, well, it is possible. You know, it's not only possible, but it happens. It's happening and it has happened. And, it, and it's kind of in some ways, if we, if we keep practicing, it's inevitable that it will happen. That there will be um, a falling away of the delusions and confusions of the mind. So, uh, so to remember not to, you know, not to seek that perfect place or the perfect people or the perfect setting, perfect sitting, but just uh, to meet what is and bring mindfulness to what is and investigation to what is interest, energy. And just by bringing those, those qualities, we are, whatever may be going on here, we are beginning to transform that from uh, a deluded me, or a confused me, or a greedy me, or a deluded, confused, greedy them, into the path of awakening. Those, those qualities, mindfulness, investigation and energy are the, the first three factors of enlightenment and they're so accessible they're so accessible if we remember so just to whatever's going on bring those, those qualities to our experience and then just keep going
And I think it's also very important to notice <coughs> the way that the self arises, the way the, the way it kind of conglomerates, the, the kind of the selfing that happens. So when we're sitting in meditation, sometimes it can be just very peaceful and open. I find particularly in the, in the mornings early, it's just a sense of being open, haven't really formed into anything yet, and and then and then one has to start to form into something because the day is asking that of us. And so rather than feeling averse to that or or or, or just falling into that in a mindless way, to be really conscious of that that forming into a self and that that can be um, necessary you know it's not that it, it can be necessary that we that we use a particular um, sense of self or qualities of ourselves in the world we need we need to but we can if we do it consciously then we're not just lost in that we're not just falling into that pattern again but we're like we're seeing it. We're doing it. It's, it's happening consciously. There's some um, there's some choice over, over how we steer that, and you know that's probably going to happen many times during a day. That a sense of self arises, and somebody says something, and a reactivity happens, or or greed arises, or whatever it might be. And so just to really be conscious and interested in that rather than uh, judging it or believing in it. Because that's the, the interest is what uh, opens up the, the place of freedom. And then if we, if we see the, the, you know, the arising of self, and then it's kind of a painful feeling, and we wish we weren't doing that again, and also just to be with that, to be with the, the dukkha of that, in a non-judgmental way, it's really important. The non-judgmental part is really important. And if we're judging it, then we're with that, and we know what that feels like. So we're knowing, we're bringing mindfulness, investigation, energy to what's happening. And just remembering that, you know, we don't, even if we've, we've made the same mistakes or we've done the same, we keep bringing up the same reactivity again and again and again and we want to, want to change and we can't because it keeps happening. Just knowing that the, the, the very bringing of presence to it will enable it to change. And sometimes we just need to be really patient. So we, we walk this, uh, this path of the path between craving and aversion and the, the path between form and emptiness. It's like we're walking that path, that narrow path. And as long as we keep on that path, as long as we don't get too far off, or if we go, if we wander off too far, we, we 
remember it and come back, all will be well. All will be well. And we just have to keep going. So every moment of our lives is an opportunity. <clears throat> and the only thing we need to do is remember. Because we forget again and again and again and again. So, uh, you know, having good friends and having uh, little images, reading, reading the Dharma, studying the Dharma, listening to the Dharma, discussing the Dharma. It's all really, really important support for this path. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a blessing that we can be here together, not to be uh, you know, some, in some isolated place where there's no one else who understands what we're talking about. And it's a blessing. And to really, you know, to, to use that and to, uh, to keep those those connections and uh, even if it's just in the heart and then when, when we meet together to spend time together and you know, share share in our understanding and uh, aspiration together it's very very precious so uh, I think you know, there's, there's a point at which one just, you know, one's seen, once you've seen a certain amount of the truth of the way things are, you just gotta keep going. And it doesn't matter how long it takes, or how difficult it is, or how many obstacles arise, it doesn't matter. Because you're following what is true. And uh, it's, it's, there's nothing more worth it, there's nothing more valuable in the world than in one's life. Than to follow what's true. So, uh, you know, to take courage and to take interest and and just keep on bringing that mindfulness investigation energy to our experience and, and see what happens. So, I'd like to offer that tonight. Andaya Dhammakataya Sadhu Karanda Dhammase Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.